Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. So as a pastor, you, you hear a lot of sad stories, truly sad stories, like, like when people come and share with you what they're going through in their life. And um, you, you respond in a lot of different ways. You, you talk to a lot of people in times of sickness. You go to a lot of funerals. And, and part of the, I think the calling is to do your best to love and to serve and empathize with people. And, and uh, every situation is a little bit different. There are these times, though, um, where it just, I don't know, it almost catches me off guard by the way that someone else's um, tough season just kind of impacts me. If you have a friend that's going through a really tough time or when you see tragedy happen to people or sometimes you just have a spiritual connection with a situation or a family or an individual, you don't always see it coming, but then just, and you kind of know what it's like probably when you interact with other people, you just, you empathize or you feel it in a, in a certain way. And that's, that's what caught me off guard about this situation, because I didn't expect to feel this kind of connection with her. But the more I thought about her situation, I, I grieved with her. As I considered her words, it caused me to feel deeper and deeper the pain that she was in. And I don't mean this in a, in a trite kind of way. She's breaking my heart. And my heart went out to her. And although we talk about reading scripture and recognizing that these are real people, that's not the experience I expected to have happen when I would read Ruth chapter one. But every time I would read Ruth chapter one and in preparation for this series, Naomi's story was just breaking my heart, not just some historical person, but to think about what she went through. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter one today. This is the last week of this four-week series that we've been doing as we've been working our way through the book of Ruth. We've looked at some of the different individuals in the story. We've talked about Ruth. We've talked about Boaz. I want to talk about Naomi some today. And if, if, you've, if you've been here, you're probably familiar with the story and how it all went. Naomi was married to a guy named Elimelech. They lived in a place called Judah in a, in a town called Bethlehem. And there was a famine that came. The only way that they were going to be able to survive was to go to some place where they could escape the famine. So they went to a place that was in opposition, kind of an enemy territory to the Jewish people in Judah. And they go to Moab with their two sons. They go there just for a short time to be able to escape the famine. While they're there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies, leaves her a widow with her two young sons, Killian and Malan. Malan and Killian are old enough that they're able to, to take wives eventually, and they marry these, these two ladies, Orpah and Ruth. And in the process of time, both Malan and Killian, both sons, also die, which means Ruth's not just a widow, but she's lost her two sons. In that day in culture, it was like she'd lost her, her, her retirement benefits. She'd lost her future. She'd lost her protection. She'd lost her security. Now all she has left is her grief and her two daughters-in-law. She hears... 10 years after they began their short-term trip to Moab, she hears that the famine is lifted in Bethlehem, and so she decides to go back. And if you remember the story, her two daughters-in-law said, well, we'll go back with you. They walk through this process of basically three conversations, and finally Orpah says, you're right, Ruth, I should stay here. So she goes back home to her family, but Ruth says, and you remember this declaration, she says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Help me out here. And your God will be. So you remember the story, right? That's where we've left off. And then we didn't get to that next part. So they're traveling, probably about a week journey, we, we figure, in that day and time, from where they were at in Moab, back to Bethlehem. 
And here's what we read in verse 19 of Ruth chapter 1. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? This is the part that got me. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I'm not, I'm not being dramatic here to say that, man, Naomi, you're breaking my heart here. Look, especially at, at this time in the ancient world, names meant something. So when she comes back into town and, and she doesn't know, is anybody going to recognize me? Are they going to remember me? What are they going to think? Have they heard the news, right? They didn't have social media at that time that they could send their condolences when, when Elimelech died or when Malin or Killian died. Did, did, had they heard? Was it just rumor? What did they know about her? But they know that she's coming back into town and they see her and they go, can this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Why? Because the name Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which is a word that means bitter. She says, don't, don't you say that I'm pleasant because my life has been bitter. God has brought misfortune on me. He has brought bitterness to me. So don't, don't think that my life has been pleasant anymore. Recognize that it's bitter. What a tough spot to be facing those bitter seasons in life. In the middle of April, we had um, just, you know, just about six weeks ago, we had one of those kind of late winter days that held on. It was one of the last days that we had like some freezing rain. It was a, it was a Tuesday, I think it was the 17th of April, if you remember this. It was a day they had to close down some of the bridges because the roads were so bad. Anybody remember this? Caught, three of us? Caught some of us off guard when, when all this happened. Well, I had an early morning breakfast appointment, so I was upstairs. I was just about ready to leave my house, and I was upstairs, and I heard this very weird... Um, see, see, the night before, we had had company over, and so to free up the driveway, I had parked my car out on the street legally. It's like in a, in a good spot, like it was parked there, but I had left it there overnight, kind of an unusual thing, and there's a side street that comes into our street, kind of right, kind of right in front of our house, and as I'm upstairs getting ready to leave, I hear this really weird crunching sound, and so I look out the window, and I say to myself, that does not look good, self. So I go downstairs and I go outside and as I do, what's happened is there was this very large vehicle. I really don't wanna mention what kind of a vehicle it is because I feel like I'd be throwing the driver under the bus. <laughs> but there was this very large, there was this very large vehicle that as it turned onto the side street, the back of it, and you have icy roads and stuff, right? It kicked out and it crashed into my driver's side door of my car and then scraped all across the side of my car in the right fender and messed it up pretty bad. So I go down there, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of checking this thing out. The guy's expecting me to be really mad. Like you could tell, he comes out, he's real apologetic. He thought I'd be really mad. For one thing, what am I gonna be mad about? I don't, I'm, I, there's nothing I can do about it. He didn't do it on purpose. The other thing that ran through my head is, Calvary's on television every week. <laughs> Honestly, this was my thought. I can't wait for that guy to be flipping channels and going, <gasps> 
that's the guy, right? Right? Just kind of sixth sense of humor. So, so we're out there. It's cold. You've got this kind of like freezing drizzle still happening. The police have to come. So the police come. Well over an hour, this whole process of getting this whole thing sorted out and the reports that have to be filed and you have to do the insurance and all this business. So when it's all said and done, he hands me all the information. The officer does. We finish all up. I go in my house and I'm standing at my front window looking out at my car. And as I do, I watch this very large vehicle turn down the side street and go. And I watch the police officer pull out away behind him. And I realize that everybody's gone and I'm just standing here looking out with the mess that I've been left with. I didn't do it. I didn't do one thing wrong in this situation. They're all gone and I'm the one left with the mess. And you start asking some questions. Why did this happen? This does not fare. I have, to, I have to change my plans. This isn't right. This is an inconvenience. This is going to cost me. This is going to this. This is going to that. And you run through all these things. And it was this moment when it, it, I, just, I felt this heaviness that came on me and almost a, 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 a bitter frustration when I said, they're driving away and I'm left here stuck with this mess. And the truth is, it was just an inconvenience. Right? It, nobody meant to cause any harm. Insurance covered the expenses. Everything's good. I've got my car back. It was a little kind of blip, a bump in the road, but everything's good. My life's back to normal now. But some of you know exactly that feeling. Because in some way, in your life, you're standing at the front window of your life and you're looking out on your mess. And maybe one that you didn't do one thing to cause. And you're watching everybody else drive away. And you're left there saying, how am I going to clean up my mess? Life comes at us sometimes with bitter moments. And we find ourselves at the front window of life going, now what do I do? Naomi walks into Bethlehem, and she looks out over her life. And they say, pleasant, you're home. And she says, don't you call me that. Because my life's been nothing but bitter. To be honest. We all go through bitter things. We all have bitter times. There's times when we look out at the mess that's in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's us, right? We, we had a part in causing that. Sometimes life just crunches into us. And I thought about this, and I, I don't mean to belabor this, but let me unpack for you some of the bitter things that we walk through. There's death. There's disappointment. There's divorce. There's job loss. There's consequences from sin. There's abandonment, there's abuse, there's depression, there's failure, there's bullying, there's broken relationships and lost dreams and broken promises and hurtful words. There's those times when we've been dismissed by another and it's been painful. There's the hateful ex or the disrespect or the failed heroes that we put our trust in or the tragedy that we've seen. There's injury and disease and accidents. Some of us have known cruelty from parents or from bosses or from teachers. Some of us have known times when we felt God was absent. Sometimes we've been angry at God. Sometimes we've been confused about God. We may have known the loss of a child or pain from a child or missed dreams by a child. Maybe it's miscarriage. Maybe it's even to the point that bitterness has sunk deep inside of us and we're not just going through a bitter thing, but we can see how it's causing us to maybe be a bitter person. Look, we all have days like that, right? You ever had a day when bitter type things come your way? Sometimes it's a day and you go, man, it's just a bad day. Sometimes it's a week and you go, wow, it's been a rough week. 
Sometimes it's a year where you go, man, I don't want to live that year again. Sometimes you go, bitter life right here, right? Because those things are real. Those things come and they happen. And we say, why did this happen? That's not fair. That's not right. Maybe even to the point where we go, and where's God in the middle of all of this? If God loved me, he would not let that very large vehicle crunch into my car, right? And you're standing at the front window, Naomi, saying, what happens next? I've been amazed, especially with this series as we've walked through the book of Ruth, how, how, how God lines up his word with what's happening in our lives so many times. And we've had this message planned out for weeks. So it's been in my mind and I've been thinking about it and I've been praying about it. So you can imagine how I just felt like, like this is so much more uh, relevant and timely the way we talk about this when the headlines this week have read of the suicide of some very prominent people. Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, people who on the outside, we would go, look, it seems like they're famous and they're rich and they've got it all together. And yet somehow there was something that had been a bitter thing in their lives that caused them to reach out and ultimately make a decision to take their own life. Look, let me, let, me, let me just say this, and we don't have time to unpack a lot of this, but I want you to understand a couple of things because sometimes we don't want to talk about that kind of thing. We don't want to talk about depression. We don't want to talk about mental illness. We don't want to talk about difficult times or dark places. We don't want to talk about when someone takes their own life, and the truth is those kinds of things are real, and they can't just be swept under the rug. There's things we need to consider. In fact, to the point that CNN had an interesting article just yesterday where they talked about the fact that oftentimes when someone high profile chooses to take their own life, other people who are in dark places say to themselves, if it was an option for them, maybe it's an option for me. And can I, can I say this on the authority of God's word? And I honestly believe speaking for him today, it is not an option. He has created your life with purpose. He's created it with meaning, and he wants you to know that. Now, look, um, there, there was, a, there was a, another interesting article in USA Today this weekend that addressed kind of these thoughts, and the author made a really, the writer made a really interesting point to talk about the fact that it's not just individuals or it's not just tough times, that we live in a really interesting culture that causes us to find a sense of hopelessness in these days. Beyond politics... Beyond opinion, listen to this line from this article. It says, most Americans who are depressed, anxious, or suicidal because um, something is wrong with our culture, not because something is wrong with them. I'd actually have to agree with that. There's so much pressure in our world and our culture right now to succeed, to be effective, to have certain things. I think technology, in so many ways, has brought so much on us and pulled us in so many different ways. I'm not bashing technology. I'm just saying there's a lot that we subject ourselves to that maybe we're not built to handle. Does that make sense? And then you watch other people's lives on social media, and you see how awesome their life is, and you know how honest yours is, that our culture puts us in such a unique place that puts pressure on so many people in so many ways. And I can agree with this author that in many ways it's something wrong with our culture, not just something wrong with us. But I can also tell you that what they're not pointing out is what is right, and that's Jesus. 
that through him we find hope, through him we find peace, through him we find purpose, through him we find comfort and confidence. Now, I don't want to minimize this thing because it can be very complex. This is not a topic to hide from. It's a reality not to be ashamed of. If you are wrestling with thoughts of taking your own life, can I challenge you? There's, there's hotlines that you can that easily search for and call people that you can talk to anonymously and get some help. There's family and friends who want to help you. We have in our connection center, we have a team of individuals who will be there after this service that if you say, I just need somebody to talk to and pray with me, they will be there and you can go there today. And this is something that we have to look at in our culture. Now, let's not minimize the fact that for some individuals, they find themselves in a very dark place and whether you want to call it clinical depression or, or and you may know someone, you may be in that place. But even in all of our culture, there's this pressure that I think a lot of people walk through that can lead us to be in a place where we feel hopeless and helpless, which is what you hear in Naomi's voice here in Ruth chapter one. Henry Cloud has written a book called Boundaries for Leaders. If, if you're in any kind of a leadership role, I'd highly recommend it. He, he talks about in this book about something called learned helplessness. There, there are these times when we find ourselves kind of in this place of what they call learned helplessness. Here's the example that they gave. They did this research with dogs and they subjected dogs, and this was, this was safe kind of thing, so don't anybody get mad at me. I'm just telling what I read, all right? So they, they subjected these dogs to these small electrical shocks, and the dogs couldn't do anything about it. They just had to put up with that little burst of pain. Then they took those same dogs, put them in another situation where they would feel that shock, but they could easily avoid it. They could do something to get away from that pain. What was interesting was that those dogs did not try to get away from the pain. When it came, they just assumed that they had to face it, that there was nothing they could do about it because they had learned that they were helpless to do anything about that pain, and so they just went through that pain thinking that they were helpless. That's why it's called a learned helplessness. Does that make sense? Do you know anybody like that? That you go through so much, you have so much tragedy and so much trauma and so much bitter that comes your way Sometimes you think, I can't do anything about this. Fa fascinating to me, and, and there's a pattern that Cloud talks about that maybe you've seen in somebody's life, maybe you've even seen it in your own. He, he gives the example of a salesman who when a salesman makes a call and they're turned down, it, it just, just in normalcy, you'd say, well, that person um, just didn't want to buy from me, or maybe they already have the product, or, or maybe they're going to buy it from somebody else, or maybe they just don't realize that they need it. I'm going to call that one a lost call, and I'm going to make another one. He says, but when you find yourself in a place where your thinking begins to have this sense of helplessness, you kind of walk through these three steps. He says, first, you take it personal, that somebody turns you down for a sale and you say, I must be a bad salesperson. It's me. There's something wrong with me. Anybody ever been there? And then from personal, it becomes pervasive. And you say, look, it's, it's not just me. It's our product. And it's not just our product, it's our whole company. And it's not just our whole company, I think it's life. I think everybody hates me. And you go from it being a personal thing to a pervasive thing where you think it's in every part of your life. Is this making sense? And then from pervasive, it becomes permanent. Because you, you go and you're thinking, I'm the problem, everything in life is wrong, and it's always going to be. And you find yourself in this place of learned helplessness. I can't help but think that that may be part of what we see happening in Naomi's life in this story. It's part of what we see because in this moment, she's not thinking right. 
I want to show you this today. That after all she's been through, after all the bitter that she's faced, she says, don't you call me pleasant. I've been through bitter. Call me bitter. And when I read that, my heart breaks for her. Because I have the benefit of history. I've read not just chapter one, but I've read two, three, and four. I know how God restores in this, but she can't see that in chapter one. And the way that affects her, see, oftentimes personal struggle often comes from wrong thinking. And there's things that Naomi is missing in the midst of this. And, and today you might be in a bitter time, or you might have faced a bitter time, or God may know that somewhere down the line, there's going to be a bitter time that's going to come your way. And here's a concern that I have. Bitterness and bad theology often go hand in hand. Oftentimes when we stop thinking right about God, it opens the door for bitter experiences to cause us to be bitter people. Does that make sense? And so I wanna talk about God today. I wanna help you to see some things about him because there's something important that we have to choose to do. Look, and let's just, let's just kind of set the stage. Some of you are in a bitter season. You're in a bitter time. How do you respond to that? I heard something 30 years ago that is borderline cheesy, but I can remember where I heard it, I can remember who said it, and I can remember the way that it impacted me. And even though it's cheesy, I think I should share it with you. You can be bitter or you can be better. And at some point you have to make a choice. You can be bitter or you can be better. The difference is I. I make a choice. Am I gonna be bitter or am I gonna be better? How am I gonna think about this? How am I gonna move forward? What am I gonna do with this thing in my life? And here's my encouragement to you. You can go through bitter times without becoming a bitter person. Bitter times you can't control. When the bus crunches your car, what are you gonna do about it? But when you stand at the front window of your life, you have a choice. You can go through bitter times without becoming a bitter person. Let me show you three big truths about God for bitter times today. Three big truths about God for bitter times. Let's run through these real quick. Number one, and you see this in the story of Naomi. Number one, God is for you. This is important to know. When that bitter time comes your way, when that disappointment or that frustration or that loss or those hurtful words or whatever comes your way, God is for you. Rewind the story about six verses. Look at what Naomi says in Ruth chapter one, verse 13. She says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's talking to Orpah and Ruth here, and she says, girls, grab hold of your life. Go back home. Things are worse for me because God has turned against me. You can, you can hear it in her voice. Why that breaks my heart is because that bitterness has led her to bad theology because she thinks that God is against her. I was, I was studying for this message, and one of the resources that I use is called the ESV Study Bible, and this is what it says about that passage of Scripture. It says, Naomi is interpreting her hard circumstances as coming from God's enmity toward her as the rest of the book of Ruth will make plain. She is mistaken. Look, let me, let me change that up. You are interpreting your hard circumstances as coming from God's enmity towards you. But as the book of Ruth will make plain, you are mistaken. Can I tell you, God is not against you. And I got Bible to back it up. Let me, let me put it in this um, context for you real quick. Understand this. God was for you. 
God was for you. Now look, there are times in scripture where someone is rebellious against God, where, where people are enemies to God's people, and it says that God put his hand against them. There are those times. But if you're in a place where you're saying, God, I need your help in this, understand this, God was for you. There are times when you're going through a bitter season that you can look back and you can remember those times when God showed up and was faithful. Anybody? Look at this, look at this, Psalm 77, verse seven. This is interesting. You talk about a bitter time. Look at what the psalmist says. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Does that sound like a good day? Anybody? <laughs> it sounds like you're looking out your front window. Verse, verse 10, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, that's a good thing. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Look, when you're going through a bitter season, you remember that the God who was faithful in the past is still with you. He's not against you, he's for you. So remember this, God was for you, and remember this, God is for you. It might not feel like it in the moment, but God is for you. He's right there with you. And if you're in a bitter time and you need reminded of this, here's a passage of scripture you might want to write down. You might want to memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, help me out here, who... God was for you. God is for you. All right, chief, if that's the case, then why do bad things happen? Like, if God loves me, if God's sovereign and God's good, then why'd my, why'd my car get hit by a bus? Or why is that mess outside my window and I gotta clean it up? Or let's make it personal. Why did Elimelech and Malin and Killian have to die? Why'd there have to be a famine? If God really cares, then why did all this happen? You know that's a tough question, right? It's one we, we probably don't have the, the, the time to, to theologically unpack today. I think we will sometime in the near future and just kind of from Scripture really, really walk through that question. Here's the basic answer. We live in a fallen world. Life won't be perfect until we get to heaven. Anybody looking forward to that? Then we will know a world without sin, but we live in a world without sin. That's why nobody in this room has, has lived 500 years, right? <laughs> because at some point, our bodies die. And unless Jesus comes back again, we're all gonna die someday. Happy Sunday. <laughs> which, which means we know tragedy, we know disappointment, we know disease, we know frustration, we know loneliness, we know loss. It's all part of living in a fallen world. And like Naomi, so many times we say, if I'm going through something painful, if I'm going through something difficult, then it means that God must not be for me. He must be against me. And God says, look, what you're facing may be the ramifications just of living in a world that has sinful consequences. You're going through those things. But know this, I am with you every step along the way because God is with me. When I, when I was 11, my dad and I got in a, in a car accident. This is the this is the early 80s, and so this was before the real push for seatbelts. So I wasn't, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. We didn't even know what a seatbelt was. We just thought, what's that strap in there for? You know, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> so we're driving down the road, and this young guy, new driver, pulled right out in front of us. 
wasn't wasn't mean. It wasn't like some kind of conspiracy that you see on TV. It wasn't anything like that. It's just just an accident. Well, when we hit, I didn't have a seatbelt on, so I went flying forward and I hit my my mouth right on the dashboard. Left a great big dent in the dashboard, which proves some of your theory that I'm hard headed, right? That was the <laughs> that was the thing. And so immediately, you know, they they check things out, and I have to go to the dentist. And so for weeks afterwards, multiple different dentists. I had to go to these different specialists and things to work through kind of getting my, getting my mouth back together. And it was painful, and it was long, and it was difficult. But I didn't get mad at the dentist when he literally had to put his hand in my mouth and put his foot on the chair and, and pull my teeth back into place. Did it hurt? Yeah. But you know what's interesting? He came in late on that night to be there and to help me when they had to wire my mouth to teeth together, when I had to walk through that season, was I mad? Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurt, but I wasn't mad. Why? Because they were helping me go through that. And I had to realize at some point that without this pain, I'm not going to get on the other side of this bitter experience. Does that make sense? Look, and I wasn't mad at the dentist because he was there to help me walk that through. Look, know this, even in the midst of your bitter season, God was for you, God is for you, and take this to the bank, God will be for you. And even the pain that you're going through right now, the dentist didn't cause my accident, but he helped me get on the other side of it. Whatever that pain is, I I, I think it's too short-sighted to say, God, why did you allow this to happen? And instead to say, God, will you be with me in this? God, will you lead me through this? Now, look, I don't mean this to be dramatic. I just, I just felt it in my spirit. You know that when, 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 we, when we have a service in this room, it impacts more than just this room. We have our other venues. We have those that are watching live online right now. We have those that will watch later online. We have those that will watch on television. And I just felt it was really important to look in this camera today and just say to some of you that need to hear this, God is with you. And God will be with you. And you can trust him through all of this even through the bitter seasons. Because God is not against you. God is for you. Number two big truth that I want you to know about God, that God is the source of blessing. God is the source of blessing. Look at this thinking that Naomi had. And I think it's it's really interesting what happens in these bitter times. She says, verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. What an interesting perspective. She says, I had stuff, but God took it. I had a husband. I had sons. I had a home. I had life. But I'm not coming back full. I'm coming back empty. I'm not coming back pleasant. I'm coming back bitter. I am in a tough situation here. And what Naomi needs to hear is this second big truth about God. Number two, God is the source of blessing. The word Lord, the name for God that's predominantly used in the book of Ruth, the the name Lord, the word Lord, is used 18 times in 15 different verses in the book of Ruth. Two of them are used in like an oath, like, like God help me kind of thing. Boaz does once, Ruth does once. Three times out of these 18, twice as an oath, three times Naomi uses it almost in the fact that the Lord has cursed me. The Lord has taken something from me. The Lord has... Has, has hurt me in some way. That's the thought process that she's in. Twice it's an oath, three times it's Naomi saying that God is against her. The other times, the other 13 times 
that the word Lord is used in the book of Ruth. If you go through and look, the other 13 times, it's a way to express that God is bringing blessing in some way, that God is showing favor. It's almost like the author of the book of Ruth is saying to Naomi, Naomi, you're missing the point. Three times you say God is against you. I'll tell you 13 times he's for you. Yes, thank you. Did you, did you see that? Some of you wanted a sign? You've seen the light. That wasn't planned, but I love it. Right? He's saying, look, God is not the one that is sucking life out of you. He's the one that can put life back into you. He's the source of your blessing. Now, look, we, we can take time to unpack it from the book of Ruth. You see that he is the source of the blessing of presence. God shows up in his presence, and he's with them every step along the way, even when they feel like they're all alone. And God shows up with the blessing of favor that somehow, and man, could we unpack that, he brings his grace. I want to show you one real quick here that I think is really important. Let me call it the blessing of relationship. The blessing of relationship. Because when Naomi said, I'm too better, bitter to go on, Ruth said, let me help you get to a place that's better. When Naomi said, don't call me pleasant, just call me bitter, Ruth shows up and says, Naomi, I'm with you. When Naomi says, I'm just going to go back and see what happens. Remember the beginning of Ruth chapter 2? Ruth says, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to help move our family forward. When you're going through a bitter time, it's really important who the people are who are around you. It makes all the difference in the world. Here's the reason why. Bitter people make people bitter. Bitter people make people bitter. You see this to be true? Look, when you encounter someone who's in a bitter place and you interact with them, it stirs up a bitterness in your own heart. There's an obituary that went viral this week. Sad story. For some of you have probably seen this. Two children wrote it about their mother who passed away. They wrote, she abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by their grandparents. She passed away on May 31st and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that the world is a better place without her. You, you can feel it, can't you? Because when you go through better things in life, it can stir something up inside of you. Look, bitterness spreads, and bitter people make people bitter. And it's, it's, like a, it's like a toxin, it's like a poison. Think about it. If you're talking to somebody and they start telling you how horrible their family is, how do you begin to think about their family? You go to a new job and you encounter somebody who says, oh, I hate this boss, he's a jerk. How do you feel about the boss? You talk to somebody who's had a tough situation in a church or maybe even with God and they're bitter towards the church or bitter towards God, how do you start to feel? Look, bitter people make people bitter. So be careful who you're around. Here's the other side of it. Better people make people better. And so when you're going through a bitter season, you be wise about who you have a relationship with. It's interesting because you watch this. Naomi gives to Ruth the chance to move forward, but you also see in this story that Ruth gives to Naomi the chance to move forward. Naomi says, let me help you find a husband, but I honestly believe that Ruth gave Naomi the faith to believe in that because she said, Naomi, our lives can move forward. I'll go get a job. Like they played off of each other. They needed each other. Watch this. When Naomi's life was bitter, I believe that God gave her Ruth to be a sweetener. And God works through those relationships in our lives. Bitter people make people bitter and better people make people better. 
And understand this, that Ruth and Naomi couldn't afford to spend time thinking about what they had taken from each other. Gosh, I watch people do this all the time. How easy would it have been for Naomi to have said, Ruth took my son away from me. And how easy would it have been for Ruth to have said, Naomi took my home away from me. And to sit there and talk about what they'd taken from each other and how they'd hurt each other and to get petty and all that. They knew that they couldn't do that. They knew that the only way to get past this bitter season was to work through God's blessing of relationship. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Like this is key. You see it all throughout scripture when people miss this and they self-destruct. And Ruth could have said, Naomi, you took me from my home. And then when Ruth gets a husband, Naomi could have said, oh, now Ruth's got everything perfect and I'm the one left with the mess. But instead, they were there for each other and they did not self-destruct in the middle of this. Relationships so many times, think about it in scripture, Cain and Abel, self-destruct. King Saul in the Old Testament, self-destruct. You ever heard of the Pharisees in the New Testament? In these times where we let whatever that bitter thing is come in and cause us to self-destruct, can I give you this word of encouragement? If your relationship is broken, choose reconciliation over bitterness. Because it makes a world of difference. Because God will bring that blessing into your life. Third thing that I want you to see, number three, God is for you. God is the source of blessing. Number three, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. What's the highlight of the story? Well, I'll let you read it, but when you get to Ruth chapter four, you find out that Naomi, who left full and came back empty, is made full again. Because Ruth marries Boaz, and Ruth has a son, and they celebrate, and they show how through this son, so much is being restored in Naomi's life. What was empty becomes full again, which shows us this. God can be trusted with today. You can trust him. You can trust God. And whatever that bitter time is that you're going through today, know this, that you can trust God with that. Time is an interesting thing, because it makes a world of difference. Things weren't immediately resolved in Ruth chapter one. We need the time of two and three and four. And she was empty and she was made full. She was bitter and she was made sweet. But something had to happen in that. What happens if you go to a fruit tree and you pull the fruit off the tree before it's ripe and you bite into that fruit? What what taste will you get? You'll get a taste that is bitter, right? But if you let it stay on that tree and you let it ripen to the right point, it's not gonna be bitter anymore. It's gonna be sweet. Know this. Bitter fruit that stays connected to the source grows sweeter over time. Bitter fruit that stays connected to the source grows sweeter over time. If you're in a bitter season right now, please don't pull yourself away from God. You might miss out on the sweetness that he wants to bring to you. Stay connected and let him work through that. God can be trusted with today. I'm telling you, God can be trusted with today. Let me go one step deeper because some of you, it's not just been a bitter time, but it's been bitterness that has come into your heart. Can I encourage you, pull that root out before that toxin spreads through your life and it destroys you. There's a story out of Texas this week about a guy who found a, uh, found a snake in his garden. Rattlesnake, those are fun. And he decides to kill it. 
So he does. He kills the snake, and at one point, he, he chops the snake's head off, right? And so he, he begins to clean up the snake. And I've actually seen this for myself. I don't know if you know this, but even though a snake is dead, it still has muscle memory. Did you know that? It's like, it's like this weird, weird freaky thing that can be dead and can still be moving around. And when he reached down to pick up the severed head of that snake, its muscle memory caused that head to bite him on the hand. Still had the venom, released the full venom into this guy, and he immediately went into a state of toxic shock, almost died. And what he thought was dead behind him was still poisoning him. And there may be a place of bitterness in your life that you might go, well, that's in the past, but it's still rooted in your heart. I'm telling you, that is toxic, and it can kill you emotionally, spiritually, and personally if you're not careful. What do you do? Release that to God. Trust God today and know this, that God can be trusted with tomorrow. You can trust God with your tomorrow. You can put it in his hands and you can trust him. Watch how the story ends. Ruth chapter four, verse 16. Ruth has had a child. What, what did Naomi have taken from her? Her husband and her two sons. Remember that? Watch this. Ruth chapter four, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there, do you remember who these women are? They're the same ones that greeted her with, hello, pleasant, remember that? The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Follow the line, David becomes the king, and King David eventually has descendants from whom we have King Jesus. This story is powerful, because Naomi got a son, but we got a savior. And if you're in a bitter time, if you're in a tough spot, know that God is for you. He is the source of blessing in your life. And even in the midst of that, in the midst of it all, he's right there with you and you can trust him. I want to read an extended passage from Romans chapter 8 to you. I'm reading this on purpose because some of you in a bitter time may have to go back to this again and again and again and again. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, and who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now watch what he says here. Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that sound like bitter stuff to you? The response, now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church said, amen. amen. Bitter times do not have to make you a bitter person. Now let me just, let me just be honest. Bitter times are real. 
I'm not minimizing the darkness that you might be in. I, I'm not minimizing the pain that you're facing. I'm not minimizing the disappointment. In fact, the truth is that I can't even begin to understand what it is that you're facing you're up against. I just know this, that in the midst of that bitterness, God is for you. He is the source of your blessing, and God can be trusted. Somewhere when I read those words from Naomi, I can't help but hear God say, Ah, Naomi. I know it's tough right now. I'm not against you. I'm right here with you. Put your trust in me. Watch how I'm, I'm going about restoring all things. If, you, if you've heard a lot of sermons, then there's a good chance you've heard this, this story before. I've, I've heard it many times in my life about Horatio Spafford. Back in 1871, Spafford was uh, an individual who owned a lot of property along the, the lake shore in Chicago. And then the great Ch Chicago fire hit. When it did, it wiped out everything. Just recently before that, his, his young son had died. You talk about a bitter time. And he'd been through a lot. He'd been partnering with the evangelist D.L. Moody and some things. And so he decided when Moody went to England that it was a good time for his family to get away and have a little break. So he planned for his wife and his four daughters and he to go to England so they could get some time away, kind of rest and be restored after such a, such a bitter season. Well, just before they were supposed to leave in November of 70, 1873, um, he, he urgently had to stay in town with the art of the ticket spot. And so he said to his wife, you and the girls go on ahead and I'll come in a few days once I get all this squared away, but I, I, just, I just can't leave right now. So his wife and four daughters got on a ship that sailed towards England. And somewhere out in the midst of the Atlantic Ocean, their vessel was struck by another vessel. And the boat they were on sunk in 12 minutes. A few days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife. Two words, saved alone. She survived, four daughters didn't. So Spafford gets on a boat and he heads to Cardiff, Wales where his wife was. And as he's out in the middle of the Atlantic, somebody lets him know somehow, this is about the spot. This is a general area where it happened. And you might be familiar with this, but as he passed over the, the wreckage that took the life of his four daughters, he penned these words. If you know them, sing along. So
me if you would please. And I, I know it's not all of us, but for some of you, you're standing at the front window and you're looking out and you're going, God, what do I do with this mess? And if you're in that bitter time, I want you to know that God is for you, that God is the source of your blessing and that you can put your trust in him. We're gonna sing a song and uh, as the worship team leads us, would you just make this your prayer to put your confidence, your trust in God. I really do believe that in these next few moments as we sing this song, for some of you, it's, it's groundbreaking. Some of you may even be in a place where you go, I, I just gotta step out of my seat and come and find a place to kneel here and pray and put your trust in God. If you're in that place, I'd encourage you, take a moment and to do that. We're gonna sing this. In fact, even before we do, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And if, if you're here today and you would say, God, in this bitter time, I put my trust in you, would you just raise your hands to the Lord? That's you. You just say, God, where I'm at in this place, I'm looking at the front window going, God, I need you to help me with this mess. You're not a bitter person. You just, you're knowing a bitter season. So God, in the midst of this, I trust in you. God, in the midst of this, I look to you.
allowed themselves to think that maybe you're against them. Lord, would you let them be lavished in your love today to know that you're the God who's for us, and so who could even be against us? Lord, I pray for the one today who looks at all they've lost. And God, would you remind them that you're the source of our blessings? And God, I pray for the one today who's in the midst of a bitter time. Lord, they're looking out the front window of their life and saying, God, what am I going to do with this mess? Lord, I pray that as they trust in you, your peace and your confidence, Jesus, for the one who, who may not even know you as their Savior and Lord yet, that right now they'd look to you and recognize their need for you in their life. And that they would say, God, as I trusted you, it's well with my soul. Well, thanks for your word today. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. How would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. <laughs>